Hi, I'm Spencer. And I'm Blake. And you're about to get jumped. Welcome to episode 205 of Blake and Spencer Get Jumped, a weekly podcast where we watch the anime so you don't have to. But you should still totally watch the anime. This week on Get Jumped, we're watching Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood episodes 52 through 54, plus a review of One Piece. Where in one, you set off on an exciting adventure across the world to find treasure, and in the other, you fight in the city to keep what's buried buried. Okay, and it's up to you to figure out which one we're talking about in each one of these. Who could it be? Do you want to go on a whirlwind adventure across the world to find the people who killed your mom? Surprise twist! It was you all along! No, it wasn't. It was some mysterious disease. Anyways, let's go ahead and jump in. If that were the twist, that would be so (laughs) fucked. (laughs) They were just like, yeah, the kids killed the mom. They've been sad for kind of weird reasons this whole time. Yeah. They were sympathetic, but they're monsters. Yeah, they kept on, you know, sprinkling asbestos flakes into her morning cereal. And gave her horrible cancer. Oh, is that bad? Yeah. Anyways, uh, so uh, oh. so 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 what's been going on, Blake? Uh, nothing. I'm in. Uh, uh, I'm in Rocky Horror right now. They do like a shadow cast thing, um, which is not novel. That's done pretty pretty far and wide. And I have never been to a live showing of Rocky Horror, and now I'm in one. And uh, boy, it's not my thing. Yeah. <laughs> I the director basically came up and asked. He was I, I was at the theater for like a meeting for something else, and uh, the director came up and was like, "Hey, I heard you're free these days." And I was like, "Yes, why?" And uh, I, I basically told him that I, I didn't particularly want to do it, but that I would do it if he really needed me to be in it. And now I'm in it. And uh, I was correct about not auditioning for it because I don't like it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think any of them listen to this. <laughs> Rocky Horror is either something that you're obsessed with and you go to and you watch over and over and over again, or it's something that you don't like. And yeah, it is it, very rarely like anywhere in between. It is usually no. one side or the other. It, yeah, it is. It is a bad movie that is all camp. And I like campy things. I like the campiness of it. And I like the weirdness of it. But it's so weird. And it, it really just does not click with the part of me that wants movies to be good. And so I can enjoy like individual bits of it. So like we've uh, our rehearsals have basically been consisting of us watching small sections of the movie over and over again while we sort of like get our movements and stuff down. And I like I'm surprised at how much better the songs are than they were in my memory. And there are definitely some things that are working about the film, but I know that it just starts to devolve into like insanity Mm-hmm. Uh, because we've been working on the first part of it. And I'm just like, I know that like the film sort of starts to lose you as you go along because it's basically just kitchen sinking ideas at you. And I don't love that. Uh, that said, I will say I have wanted to go to a live Rocky for a long time. I think that going to one is totally my type of thing. I have been to a live showing of The Room and I loved it. Mm. Uh, but being in it is not for me. And now I'm in it and I'm confirming that it's not for me. <laughs> yeah. Well, Hey, uh, we got some news about our favorite anime. Uh, well, my favorite, one of my favorite animes anyways. Uh, so bleach, the thousand year blood arc is starting to roll out eh, pretty soon. I think it's like, uh, like one week away, almost exactly. Um, maybe yeah, on October tenth. Yeah, so uh, at least in in the U.S., I'm not sure how close that is to the Japanese, but in the U.S., it's October ten. Yeah, so it's going to be, I believe, it's simulcast. Um, Hulu is You'd putting on their, so. Hulu and Disney Plus are putting on their big boy pants and deciding that uh, yes, anime is the way of the future. Um, and so uh, Disney Plus is going to be like a really, really getting into it. Um, and they've slapped the shit out of Crunchyroll because Crunchyroll, yeah. um, 
I don't know if you have been keeping up with uh, what Blake and I have been talking about, but if you missed it, we talked about it recently. Uh, Crunchyroll's in a, a little bit of a, a slap fight with their not only their voice actors, but also different unions that are working with them. Um, and uh, one of the things that's happening to them recently is that they have found out that um, some big players have uh, entered the ring. Um, so Disney uh, has been, you know, dabbling in Marvel, obviously, Star Wars. And they were like, fuck it, we'll just go ahead and just get all the anime too. And at that point, they are not only paying everybody better, but they are also just so much more powerful than the little people. I'm like, I don't know if I'm okay with this or worried about it. Yeah, I'm I'm not sure that Disney is making the anime yet. Oh, they're um, not. Outside but they of are the, definitely outside of Star Wars Visions, which I definitely think was a co-Disney product. Mm-hmm. But uh, they are licensing it, and that means they're probably going to start making it eventually if those licensing uh, deals start to pay off for them. And simuldubbing. Which, yeah, which is, yeah, I don't know how to feel about it. I'm like, it, it's the it's the monopoly problem, right? Like, I'm a pretty huge Marvel fan, and I find many Disney and Star Wars things to be relatively agreeable to varying degrees. I usually like Disney stuff. I usually love Pixar stuff. I love Marvel stuff with almost no exceptions. And Star Wars has been very hit or miss lately. But, you know, I I usually like the concept at least. These are things that I like. And Disney has more than enough money to make it good. And they frequently use that money to make it good. And I like that. That is the good side of capitalism. The bad side of capitalism is uh, when Disney consumes all of its competitors, uh, then, you know, they can potentially drop off in quality or whatever. You know, when there's no competitors, that's when corporations don't have the external pressure to uh, do things for consumers and they start to do things just for themselves. And that's when things start to go awry. Mm -hmm. And so it's like here, I think Disney becoming a competitor in the anime space is probably short term good. Because Disney will, you know, if this foray into anime licensing uh, yields results for them, they will probably start to pour more money into that as an area and finance more the creation of more anime, the dubbing of more anime, etc. That will also hopefully spur competing houses uh, like those under the Crunchyroll banner um, or Viz or whatever it was that we're talking about last week with with Mob Psycho 100. Mm -hmm. Um, That will spur them to become more competitive, which usually works out in the favor of the consumers and or the employees. Uh, but again, uh, Disney has had a, has made a bit of a habit in the last decade or so of consuming its comp- competition uh, and absorbing it like a, you know, blob like organism that wants to, you know, absorb the whole world. And that uh, is fraught because sometimes you get X-Men that get to be in the MCU. And sometimes uh, you get, uh, the only corporation is Disney and now they control everything and we have no say. So, you know, we want maybe the first one, but we don't want the second one. Yeah. Oh man. Can, uh, man, I am so excited to start watching this. It is, it it is maybe the, the biggest piece of excitement that I've had in, in a, in a hot minute about an anime. I am very excited about chainsaw man, but I am more excited about this. Uh, this has just been such a long time coming. Uh, so to clarify from, from these articles, uh, it is of note that bleach was streamable on Crunchyroll and is no longer streamable on Crunchyroll. This is sad. Uh, the place that you will be able to watch all of bleach, including the new episodes, which, uh, according to this article start showing on October 10th is on Hulu. If you're in the United States and on Disney plus, if you are outside of the United States, and of course, they note that availability may vary by country. So if you are not U.S. located, double check that Disney Plus availability. Uh, if you are in the U.S., it's going to be Hulu. Um, yeah, I, I'm excited about this. Definitely a little uh, a little nervous about the Disney Plus of it all, but less nervous about the Hulu of it all. Hulu has been sort of a soft crunchy roll for a few years now. Mm-hmm. A lot of stuff that is on crunchy rolls on Hulu 
Hulu actually has a deep, deep bench of good anime. Uh, and uh, so I, I'm not too surprised by that as much as I am surprised that it's going to be on Hulu and not on Crunchyroll. That is surprising to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can see where you're coming from with that. Um, hey, Blake, what's this news about Gundam? Uh, there's a new game from Gundam. It's called Gundam Evolution. Uh, the article I'm pulling from is from Polygon. It's titled Gundam Evolution Welcomes Gundam and Overwatch Fans with Big Metal Arms. So uh, I read the article a little while uh, while I was out working the other day. And basically, something there's this game called Overwatch. And I know of it. Overwatch and Fortnite are two games that I assume are identical because I hear a ton about them and I don't know a thing about them. Uh, I have never seen even a moment of gameplay from either one of them, and I could not tell you what they are. I couldn't even tell you if they're first person or third person. But I do know that Overwatch 2 just came out. And Overwatch 2 has caused a bit of controversy because people were expecting it to be a sequel to Overwatch, which was kind of a living game. Uh, The living game that I play the most right now is Pokemon Unite. So if they came out with Pokemon Unite 2... Uh, it wouldn't make any sense under the current model. But if they came out with Pokemon Unite 2 and just like revamped a bunch of shit, that might be interesting. But the problem would be if they said, okay, everything from Pokemon Unite 1 is gone. All the stuff you bought, you know, you spent money on in the game, all that fun shit, all those characters you liked, they're gone. You're starting over from zero. Um, You know, that makes sense when you're, I don't know, if you're playing like Halo is the thing that comes to mind. Like Halo comes out with games pretty frequently. Uh, I guess the most recent Halo game wasn't very well received either, but I haven't played since like the third one. So like, you know, growing up, it was like, okay, Halo 1, you you got the multiplayer, you got the story. Halo 2 comes out and introduces new elements, a new story. Like it's a new game and it feels similar and familiar, but it's a different game. Uh, that's not the same when you're talking about something like Pokemon Unite or Overwatch or I assume Fortnite, uh, because they're more of like a living game and they're, they're sort of in the current model of like expanding upon something through, uh, through what would be considered expansion packs, uh, in certain areas. Like your, you know, when Pokemon Unite adds characters and costumes and, and different content, uh, over time instead of like selling you big batches that are like expansion packs, but it's the same kind of thing. You're just modifying the base game with new content. And it's my understanding that that has been Overwatch. Uh, I might be completely wrong about this because Overwatch may have just been on like a full game in and of itself, but uh, people are pissed that Overwatch 2 is a replacement game. And so it's hard for me to understand why people would be upset with that if it's not sort of a living, breathing game like Pokemon Unite, like Fortnite, that kind of stuff. So that's my that's my inference that I've made about the people's reaction, negative reactions to Overwatch 2 turning off Overwatch 1, essentially. Um, so all of that said, there is a new game called Gundam Evolution, And it is apparently just like Overwatch, but with Gundams. Uh, It is a free-to-play game. So I, to me, reading reading through this article, uh, they note that the game has microtransactions. Uh, They have loot boxes, five characters that you can pay to unlock, a season pass, and there are deluxe editions that you can uh, that you can get premium currency through. However, they note that the premium currency has to be used within 120 days or it expires, which sounds really uh, not great. So, uh, you know, it's got the freemium aspects to it that are that can sometimes be degenerate. But the article is overall pretty enthusiastic that the game is fun. Um that it is reminiscent of Overwatch, specifically the first Overwatch. And so if you are kind of wounded by the transition from Overwatch 1 to 2, this might be a an alternative to check out. It's free to start. So uh, they also know you don't have to know anything about Gundam uh, because it's, you know, I mean, it's a shooter. You, big robots, they're cool, but you don't have to have any, like, lore knowledge to jump into this game. Um and it just seems fun. It looks like there's going to be expansions on it uh, as far as like adding characters in. And again, my frame of reference for this is Pokemon Unite. 
And so I hope I'm not assuming too much when I say that this sounds a lot like Pokemon Unite. Pokemon Unite is free to play. You can start the game for free. They give you a small handful of characters for free, and they give you in-game currency for completing different things that will allow you to get characters at a slow pace. Uh, You can also spend money to get new characters much, much faster. And there are little cosmetic things that you can get uh, sometimes for free in-game, but often for real money. Uh, This sounds a lot like the same thing with maybe slightly more predatory microtransactions. So, you know, don't, don't unleash your like eight-year-old with no object permanence onto the game necessarily. But like if you're interested in an Overwatch alternative or if you're interested in a Gundam game that you can like jump into for free, it sounds like Gundam Evolution is going to be a good time. And uh, it is not, I don't think it's a MOBA, so it's not like Pokemon Unite like that, but uh, it is, it does seem to be the same thing in that it's going to be a free sort of living service that you can pay into if you'd like to, but that you don't have to. Yeah. Well, that's exciting. Hey, Blake, uh, what do we read this week? Because I'm pretty sure it's a big fucking deal. <laughs> yeah, we read One Piece. I, I don't think we've covered One Piece on our show. Uh, we've talked about it frequently because it is ever present, but uh, I don't think we've covered it. We we specifically read it. Uh, we will watch it next week, barring something going horribly awry. Uh, I wrote down that this was... Uh, suggested by slow ball talker a uh, uh, slow wait slow balt caller in our discord uh but lots of people talk about one piece in the discord so yeah. uh they're probably just the first person that i thought hey i should write that down uh so they get the credit uh but yeah we we read one piece i read the first three chapters um i have read the first few volumes of one piece And as I've said many times on the show, I used to get the print edition of Shonen Jump, which was a monthly version of the weekly Shonen Jump that comes out in Japan. So it would have about three to five chapters of anime in it, or sorry, of manga in it from a rotating cast of like seven uh, series. And One Piece was ever present in that. And I read... I read that, uh, I think they did a time skip at one point. Uh, there was a, a while where like Shonen Jump, when it first started releasing, started from the beginning of a series, and then it did a time skip on like Naruto and One Piece and maybe Bleach to try and get closer to the Japanese release. Uh, and so there, there are definitely like storylines that I've read, at least in part from like, I, I remember something about a prison with like a big warden that might be poisonous or something. Uh and so I've read some One Piece, but it's been a long time. It's been since college, which my 10-year graduation anniversary from college was like this year. So I don't love that. <laughs> but uh, I've read a lot of a lot of One Piece very sparingly. But in the grand scheme of how much One Piece there is, I have read very little. And uh, how much? What's your relationship to One Piece, Spencer? <laughs> Okay, let me take you back a couple of years to when my uh, my my daughter was born, um, and I decided what I wanted to do was I wanted to reread all of One Piece, and so I started. It's taken me about two and a half years to get completely caught up. I am uh, completely caught up. It is a lot of content, and when I say a lot yeah, of a- content, I mean like it is way way more content than you think um it's nearing 1100 chapters at this point which is unheard of Mm -hmm. yeah it is it is astonishing how much one piece you can read it's it's, i'm not i I haven't looked into this i'm sure there is some other thing that ran forever mm -hmm. but as far as i know Outside of something like Marvel Comics, where it's sort of evergreen and it's meant to be a kind of like perennial thing, same thing for like DC, as far as I know, there isn't something else like One Piece. Like, you don't really have stories like One Piece that get to that number. If you're going to get to that number of issues, it's because you're doing Superman or the X-Men or whatever, and you're just trying to keep them going forever and just make new stories. And it's not necessarily an ongoing narrative. There, there might be continuity, but the characters aren't aging. It's not, you know, it's sort of preserved in amber a little bit. Mm-hmm. One Piece is an ongoing story. It is a start to finish type deal. And there will be an end. Uh, 
we have been warned that the end is near, although reports vary on when that would be based on previous warnings. Uh, but like, it, this is insane that this is happening. Uh, and it, it's truly remarkable and made all the more remarkable by the fact that it is widely considered to have consistently high quality. Uh, certainly people will gripe about certain arcs going on too long or feeling frivolous or whatever, but overall, most people that read One Piece are like, this is good and it's good the whole time. And that mm-hmm. is, that's like, I can't, I, it's hard to imagine making one single thing be so good for so long. Uh, did you reread the first three chapters for this or did you just sort of like pull from your knowledge? Oh, I reread the first three chapters because I just wanted to step back into my time capsule. Um, man, yeah. it starts off so different from where it goes. It is. It yeah. is crazy. Uh, I'm I I was thinking about this and I was like it's impossible as somebody who knows stuff about anime and manga. Like I would say I'm medium informed. I get a lot of information for this show, but I'm not like on every blog and every new site for anime in the world and I don't watch all of it. So like I'm aware of a lot of the big stuff and one piece is the big stuff. It's so hard to read this manga without a knowledge of the fact that it has become one of the most beloved long-running series of all time and that it is considered a masterwork by many people. Uh, I, If I'm reading it without that knowledge, I try to think, like, if I didn't know that this was a manga that went on to become wildly successful, I think these first three chapters would be just okay. Uh, they are not super... Like they're they're not reinventing the wheel at all. They are putting pretty familiar shonen anime things in the context of island towns and pirate living. And there's not a lot here in the first three chapters that is really novel. Even the devil fruit, uh, while it is a fun sort of Faustian bargain that you get powers but you can't swim, and it's a world based around you know being on the ocean. Mm-hmm. Uh. It's mostly just an excuse to have powers, just like quirks or, you know, I don't know, chi and Dragon Ball Z or whatever, you know, alchemy. Like, it's just this universe's magic system. And these first three chapters, I'm like, if you're reading, if you handed this to somebody who genuinely was blind to the existence of One Piece, I would be curious to see whether or not they would be interested in continuing to read. I know from my past experience, and I've talked about this on the show before, that the cartoony animation style of One Piece was a big turnoff for me. And when I read it in college, I did not enjoy it. And I only read it because I am a completionist and I, it was in the middle of the book and I couldn't read the thing after it until I read through it because I am compulsive. And I don't, I don't remember enjoying it. And I was like, I just don't think this is for me. And uh, since then, more, much more recently, like I said, I've read the first few volumes by renting them from my library uh, which is a great source for renting comics and manga and stuff like that. Uh, and it's for free because it's a library. So, you know, go to your library. Uh, but uh, I, I remember reading it and being like, I, okay, I think I get it now. And I watched a couple of the first, I watched the first few arcs on the anime, which is very slow moving and, and old. Uh, and definitely more reminiscent of like early Naruto where you have that kind of like, all right, let's get to it feel. But uh, speaking of which I was like, you know, if you look at the first seven episodes of Naruto, it's a stupid comedy about a ninja kid. And then it turns cool. And that is what it is. Naruto is cool. Naruto is a cool thing about ninjas fighting. And the first seven episodes are not. Uh, you get a little hint of it at the end of the first episode. But for the most part, it's just goofy ninja hijinks and it's not particularly engaging. But that's not re- very representative of the show. And even Bleach, uh, and I'm calling out those two because Bleach, One Piece, and Naruto were the big three when when Spencer and I were teenagers. Um, and I guess in our early 20s. Uh, Bleach also starts off as monster fighting, but it quickly turns into fighting other people. Uh, those people might be monstrous a little bit, but they're, they're people-y. They're not monstery. And um, these, are, these three manga kind of pivot in interesting ways. And I was thinking about this where I'm like, this doesn't seem to have hit its stride yet, but there's something going on that is just charming. There's just, 
I can't put my finger on it, but there is a charm to this. And if you can, you know, I've come to grips with the animation style. And even though I thought that these original stories were a little expected from a shonen story, they're really well done. And what I know from people who really love this series and like Mother's Basement um, and stuff, people like that that have talked about the series in ways that I am not equipped to know about yet. Like, it seems that the author, uh, Ichiro Oda, is very good at like, like giving everybody a story that you can believe in and a story that you can empathize with. And so the bad guys feel bad in ways that are not like there's a cartoonish villain here, but it's like, oh, he's abusing the power of the government. He's he's evil, but it's not for villainy's sake. It's because he's like drunk on the power that his dad has and he's a rich asshole. And, you know, it, it's just like there's little character beats woven in here that just, I think, add a little sparkle to this thing. And so it's like, even though I'm reading it and if I'm taking myself out of the context of this being like the megalith of anime and manga, I'm like, okay, there's something here that is compelling. And even though it's it feels maybe arguably a little generic in the first three chapters, there's something about it that makes that is like burrowing into my brain that I'm I'm sort of almost unconsciously being pulled into it more than I should be based off of like the play by play of what's going down in these chapters. Um, so I think that was, that was my reaction to it. Obviously it's great. And obviously I've read much more of it and enjoyed it uh, since my first brush where I did not, but uh, yeah, these first three chapters were interesting. Um, and I definitely think if you have yet to, to jump into one piece and you have a reaction like me where you're like, I don't know, this feels kind of just like any other shonen thing, like probably keep at it. Cause there is something special here. Uh, what do you think Spencer? Yeah, I, I do. I do agree that this, this show really, it really should be held at kind of like a, it's kind of in a different pantheon, honestly. Um, it's, it's very, very much more important than a lot of other shows that have come out in the, in the same time period and, uh, the manga and as well. Um, and it has stood the test of time in a, in a much, much larger sense than probably anything, any other anime or manga that has, has been a predecessor of it. Um, and also it's, it's really important to remember as well, the, the world that has started to be created and interwoven together inside of this, uh, this, this manga is, it just becomes larger and larger and more and more and more intricate. It, it just, it's, it's getting just crazier every single time. Um, and, uh, it's like one long slow burn, right? Like mm -hmm. these first few chapters are a slow burn of building the crew, but the whole series is kind of a slow burn of like, okay, this is an important place. This is a feel of the world. These are important characters, that kind of thing. Right. Oh yeah. I joked with somebody recently that Oda, it will randomly just, he apparently does a single, a single take through sometimes where he'll just like, go and then um, uh, just kind of like feel his way around to the next story point that he had, he needs to get to. Um, but in the middle of that, he'll do just like random shit, like just, you know, these, these random little world building like snippets where you're just like, where is this person? Oh yeah, they're over here. Let me just remind you that they're still there. It's just like, what, what is he doing? But also at the same time, it's just like, it's fascinating and just uh. perfectly created. Man. Yeah, I, I was nervous about putting this on our list because it's like, how can you read the first three chapters of this and have it be relevant at all to what's going on? Uh, but I, I'm glad that we were able to sort of talk more about the overall relevance and how that sort of circles back to the first three chapters or doesn't. Um, yeah, I definitely think I definitely think it's worth picking up if you haven't. <laughs> but there's so much of it that I haven't gotten into that I suspect once I do, I'll start gushing about it nonstop. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, we also have our normal coverage to go through. Blake, can you tell us what happened previously on Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood? At this point, I'm genuinely getting to the point where I'm like, I'm not sure I can. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, so there's there's these two kids, Ed and Al. They're uh, they're like Ed's like 15 or so, and Al's a couple years younger. Um, they are uh, prodigies at alchemy, which in this universe is a sort of like magical system for uh, reshaping or transforming the things around you. Um, so, you know, you might be able to pull a, a stone spear out of the stone street at your feet or, you know, take some like metal substance and change its molecular composition so it becomes brittle so you can punch through it and stuff like that. Um, they have set out on a quest to find this thing called the Philosopher's Stone. The Philosopher's Stone is set to circumvent the one big rule of alchemy, which is that in order to gain something, something of equal value must be lost. So, uh, you know, when you're pulling this, the spear from the stone street, you're actually taking from the stones and you're, you know, leaving a little divot in the street because you, you pulled the spear out of it. Um, if you're trying to do something bigger, you've got to, you've got to make some sort of like basically sacrificial payments. Uh, and this is sort of set up in the alchemical processes in general, but Ed and Al tried to do something that alchemists are not supposed to do, which is they tried to bring back somebody that they loved who had died. They tried to bring them back to life. Alchemy says, don't do that. And uh, part of the reason we can infer is that uh, it's really hard to put a price point on the life of a person that has died. So they tried to do this. They ended up uh, having it go horribly awry. Um, Ed lost uh, an arm and a leg and he now has metallic prosthesis for both of those. Al was actually entirely consumed by the alchemical energies, but Ed was able to create a blood seal, which bound Al's soul to a, a suit of armor. So he is, he is a suit of armor with nothing inside of it, but a, a little seal in blood that keeps him, you know, inhabiting it. And uh, the two of them are going around looking for the Philosopher's Stone because they would like to use its energies to restore their bodies. Uh, obviously, it's a little bit of a, a hard sell to sacrifice someone else's arm and leg so you can get yours back because you fucked up when you were a kid. Uh, same thing with Al's body. So they want to use the, the Philosopher's Stone so they can do that while still remaining, you know, good, relatively good people. Uh, unfortunately, in their travels, they have discovered that the Philosopher's Stone has a terrible secret which is that it is made out of people. Uh, essentially, bad people will go around and create giant seals and turn entire cities into Philosopher's Stones. And those cities kind of like vanish overnight and people are like, ah, I wonder what happened to that play those people. And uh, then, you know, the baddies walk away with a super powerful stone. And they've done this a few times. And uh, they also have to start some shit in order to do it because there has to be like a, I don't remember what they call it, like a blood, a blood mark or something. So there have been like terrible, like genocidal civil wars in this country's past. And uh, it has been revealed that basically the baddies were behind all of that because they wanted blood to be spilled just so they could make a stone for themselves. And they don't really care about the human lives. Uh, that's because the baddies are these things called homunculi. Um, a homunculus is an artificial being. They were created using alchemy and they were not, you know, birthed like a normal person, except at least one of them is a hybrid. Uh, so that's a little weird. But um, for the most part, they are sort of immortal created beings and therefore they have a sort of amoral inhumanity about inflicting pain and, and torment on the humans around them. Uh, some of them are are leading the government as presumed humans and have led the government into enough terrible conflicts around the region that they have all the like blood seals that they need. And now they want to do a big, big, big Philosopher's Stone ritual that will kind of encompass the entire country and make like a super giant, super powerful Philosopher's Stone. Um, Ed and Al have found out about this. They are a little fraught about using the Philosopher's Stone, but much more importantly, they are more immediately focused on stopping the bad guys from doing the bad thing. And uh, they've joined up with a lot of people. There is a guy named Armstrong, who's a big, handsome, muscly boy who uses his fists to punch alchemy at people. And there's his sister, who is a super badass general from a northern area. Um, she is uh, often called Olivier. She's Olivier Armstrong. Um, so sometimes we might say Armstrong referring to her or him, but uh, I'm trying to say Olivier because that 
disambiguates. She's super cool. Uh, she has infiltrated the the sort of like traitorous elements of the government because they mistook her hard assery for uh, power grabbingness, but she actually has a pretty strong like honor code and she has just been infiltrating them so that she can get information enough to knock them off. And she spent a lot of time in our last episode's worth of coverage killing some of the people that were doing the bad thing. Uh, and now she has found herself faced with a murderous homunculus named Sloth, so she's having to deal with that. And... Uh, I don't know who else is in here. Mustang. Colonel Mustang is one of the higher ups in the military. Uh, He has often been a commanding officer for uh, Edward because Edward joined the alchemical forces of the military to uh, help them advance in their quest to find the Philosopher's Stone. Mustang has the ability to uh, enact fire alchemy, so he can basically shoot fire out of his hands. And um, he is ambitious in that he wants to be the ruler of the country he has also learned that the current ruler of the country is a secret immortal baddie and would like to overthrow him but obviously it's more complicated than that because you can't just overthrow the leader of a country and establish yourself and have everybody be cool with that so he's sort of like working on a coup right now that has aspects that will sort of discredit the previous leader's uh authority and allow people to be more into the idea of him taking over so he's working on that um there's a couple of homunculi running around uh there's one named pride who is currently fighting with al pride is the uh the son of the current ruler of the country he has shadow powers uh he's fighting with a dude named kimbley who is this like murderous dude who has a philosopher's stone to boost his power um al is trying to al had recently trapped Pride in a big stone prison, but Pride was able to get out by summoning Kimberly to him. And now they're in a big fight. Armstrong and Olivier are fighting Sloth. Um, and uh, Ed is with a big group of people in the underground. Uh, they have been beset by... I've been calling them zombies. They're not exactly zombies. They're They're sort of like soulless humanoid automatons, but they do attack you by biting you. So they're kind of zombie-like. Um, this is part of the baddies plan is to unleash an immortal army that, uh, you know, they can they think will cause them to be unbeatable. But of course we know the real baddie plan is to like consume all of them into the philosopher's stone. So the immortal army I think is just a means to an end, but they've been unleashed and, and Ed is down in the, the catacombs of the city sort of fighting off this zombie army there are so many people here. I'm sure I missed some of them, but that's most of it uh, bringing us into episode 52. Episode 52, Combined Strength. This episode yeah. is about three different fights that are happening at the same time. Uh, the first one is going to be Al versus Pride and Kimberly. Um, as you'll remember that Kimberly had just broken Pride out of a big mud prison that was around him, um, keeping his powers in check because if he's in complete darkness, he's not able to use his shadow powers. So um, Al is uh, he's starting to get into a fight with them and reveals that he has a Philosopher's Stone on him. So he is going to try to step toe-to-toe and fight both of them at the same time. He actually does a pretty solid job. There's a yeah, he's of- clever. Yeah, there's a couple of, like, smoke bomb things that he does. There's a couple of times where he, like, throws up clouds. Um, and he actually does succeed in trapping Pride. And uh, Kimberly knocks Pride out again. Um, but it, it there is yet another smokescreen attack. And uh, Pride's like, I'm not going to fall for this again. We can just catch you. And uh, I can just smell you out. And he, he finds Al immediately. But then Al shows that he doesn't have the philosopher's stone on him anymore. And then Kimberly out of fucking nowhere gets bitten in the neck by the fucking lion, uh, uh, chimera. It's so fucking dope. And like, I was astonished. I was so not expecting this. It was just out of nowhere. And also I had forgotten it even fucking happened. Uh, Kimberly goes down. He's mortally wounded, bitten, bitten in the neck. Um, in a, in a moment where pride is just like going to still defeat everybody though. Um, it, pride is hit by a fucking car that's been driven by who, who else, but this one random fucking guy that came along with them that used to be Yoki, part of the army. The idiot. Yoki. <laughs> 
Like, man, yeah. there's just, there's so much stuff that happens really fast inside of this episode. And this is just yeah. the first fucking fight because the it, other it, fights that are happening. <laughs> you, you alluded also to the fact that like Ed, he's like throwing up clouds and stuff like this. Like it's such a good fight because it's kinetic and exciting, but you can also see the characters aren't just throwing punches. They're like setting traps in real time. And it's so exciting and satisfying to watch. And it's like impossible to describe it without sitting here for two hours. So uh, totally check it out because it's really good. But yeah, Al, Al leaves Kimberly. Uh, Al, Al and his friends escape, leaving Kimberly fatally wounded. And Pride is left behind to be pissed off. But he's like, I don't know. I could always eat Kimberly. That would be great. So we know that Kimberly's about to get got. <laughs> yeah. Meanwhile, the Armstrongs are fighting against Sloth. Sloth. So cool. <laughs> complains and complains of complains about the fact that he's just like, Oh, I have to actually do stuff. And they're just like, well, as long as we we can, (laughs) as long as we can stay ahead of him, we'll be fine. And then Sloss reveals that because of his immense strength, he can move superhumanly fast. And he is like a wrecking ball in a straight line. And he just smashes into it super fast, like breaking up the Armstrongs. And the only way that they are able to deal with Sloth is that Sloth goes to uh, attack Armstrong one more time. And Armstrong in that split second throws up a spike that he created from the floor. And so he just impales himself through the face on the spike. It's so fucking crazy. It's grotesque too. the animation. And this is really high quality. It's always high quality, mm-hmm. but in this moment and in a moment, uh, maybe in the next episode or at the end of this one, like there is some really unsettling, like uh, specific animation going on here that I was, I was marveling at, at, at the same time as I was feeling like unsettled by it. Yeah. Uh, it's really good. But yeah, uh, sloth is so fast, but he's just, he just launches himself in a straight line. And so it's like, if you can, if you can be out of his path before he launches himself, you're probably going to be okay. But if yeah. you're in his path, he's going to hit you before you can react. He's not yeah. fast. Yeah. But in the same way, they turn that against him and use it to have him impale himself. It's so cool. Yeah. Um, Meanwhile, at, at the exact fight. time that they, <laughs> well, at the exact time they impale him, Zombies start pouring out into the room. They're like, oh, we've just finished with this fucking guy. Now there's zombies here. It's it's such an and now this problem. It's really funny. Uh, but yeah, so, okay, so there's this character named May, uh, and she is fighting a homunculus named Envy, who just got his body back in the last episode because he was reduced to nothingness, but he consumed some zombies and uh, and allowed himself to get back to his regular size. And now he's fighting her while she's surrounded by zombies and he starts consuming them to make himself bigger and stronger. And she's having a, he's, she's having trouble because everybody's out to get her, but she does note that he would probably have more success if he would stop consuming the zombies because she would have more things to worry about. So I thought that was fun. Uh, And then we get to Ed's group down in the catacombs also surrounded by zombies. Yeah. Okay. So here's the problem with a bunch of the zombies. They, the zombies have a fatal flaw and that is, uh, you can destroy the zombies as long as you can just light them on fire. And that takes us into episode 53 flame of vengeance, which also is going to be piling on top of the very end of episode 52. Um, because may is going to be escaping inside of the tunnels while being chased by envy and envy. You'll remember from the previous episodes has been using the different zombies that he is running into to absorb them and gain back his power. Um, and so May is having trouble keeping up with this and they are going to run into the same room with, uh, with Ed and crew who have just also been joined by Mustang and Mustang is going to burn all of the zombies and Envy's going to be in there and he's going to be like, Oh shit, you're this stupid asshole that killed, uh, one of our other ones with fire. You killed lust, but you're, you're also so stupid because you, uh, you you fall for all of these dumb tricks, and he's like, "Dumb tricks? Are you talking about uh, 
you being the one that actually killed my best friend. And he's like, okay, fine. You figured me out. Oh, yeah. I killed your best friend. And he's like, don't you say another thing to me. I'll burn your tongue out. And he's like, oh, say. And he just fucking lights his face on fire. And he's like, oh, my God, my tongue. He's full on. He is full on Trogdor energy right now. Oh, yeah, man. This fucking sequence where he is just merciless with Envy. And he's like, everybody else go do your thing. And Envy's like, like I would let them escape. And he's just like, you got to deal with me first. And he's just fucking lighting <laughs> him busy. up over and over and over again. Yeah, and it is, it, it's, it's interesting how different they make this. Because he has killed Sloth by, or he has killed uh, Lust by burning her up. And uh, essentially the homunculi they have philosopher stones inside of them. And because the philosopher stone is made by absorbing the souls of people, uh, when you kill a homunculus that is powered by a philosopher stone, you essentially take away one of their lives and they got a bunch of them because philosopher stones are made using a lot of people. And so, um, so when he killed lust, he just sat there and kept shooting fire at her and consuming her in flames until all of her lives were burned up. This is similar, but it it is different in interesting ways. And I say that from a writing standpoint, because essentially at the end of the day, this is more or less Mustang doing the same thing, using his fire powers to burn up a homunculus's lives until they don't have any left. But it's different and that's good from a writing standpoint because you wouldn't want to retread that ground. It's not interesting a second time, uh, at least not if it's presented in the same way. And this is different because this is personal. When yes. Mustang killed lust, he was trying to stop an unstoppable enemy. And it was a cool moment of a character doing a badass and kind of horrific thing because they needed to be the hero. This is not that. This is Mustang trying to get vengeance on a bad thing that happened to a person that he cared about by inflicting pain. Yep. So he's not just burning Envy up. He's doing things like burning Envy's eyeballs up, which yeah. is causing inordinate amounts of pain, but leaving him alive. He's allowing Envy to mostly regenerate so that he can re-inflict pain. And he's yeah. going hard on Envy. Yeah. Okay. So there's something happening as well in the background of this that we need to talk about briefly before going into episode 54, Beyond the Inferno. The thing that is happening in the background of this is that uh, the Fuhrer's wife is going on the radio and admitting to what everybody what is happening inside of their city. And also, um, uh, well, at least the story that Mustang's troops are wanting her to tell. And that is making everybody a, b- believe that there a is a real story. There's, there's like <laughs> a massive coup that's going on inside of the government and they're taking it from the Fuhrer. Um, there's some, there's some stuff that's incorrect and weird and wrong that's obviously being played around, but they are trying to weave this in because the whole point is so that they can get Mustang to be the next Fuhrer after they deal with the homunculus and all of the uh, people that are loyal to the Fuhrer currently. And because yeah, they're of trying this, to win a propaganda victory, and it's correct. really interesting how they're going about it. Yeah, they're they're going out there and they're they're spreading this this story about what's going on and people you you're seeing people in the street start to believe it and start to think that like what's going on is is you know uh what Mustang's troops want them to believe. Yeah, you got and all those people in the streets, but it's like a homunculus in the sheets, you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Anyways, um so <laughs> while this campaign is starting to go on, we are going to cut back to the rest of these episodes, which is the story not only of Mustang and his connection with Hawkeye, but also his connection with the person that he wants to become. Because he wants to become somebody that people in the city can believe in, and so does Hawkeye. Because Hawkeye knows that he had to go through hell in order to get his powers. 
He had to go through hell in order to go fight a war that he didn't completely believe in. And he had to go through hell in order to wash away the possibly most powerfully dangerous power that exists in alchemy. And not only did he have to go through pain, yes, not only did he have to go through pain, but Hawkeye had to go through immense pain as well because the story of how you get these powers is only held in a single place, and that was removed during at the end of the Ishvalan War by Mustang on Hawkeye's back. It was tattooed into her back, this fire alchemy. And he burned it off of her back because she begged him to take away this thing that was so destructive inside of this world. And she was just like, please, please, you have to remove this. You have to be the last flame alchemist. And it's just, it's it's so powerful and it's so important. And at the same time, when we flash back to him using this power the you know horrible horrible pain inflicting moments to arguably a monster but at the same yeah. time he is getting a obviously not not like a glee but a a, a grim satisfaction satisfaction out of this and yeah Hawkeye doesn't want to see him become a monster that she do- knows that he's not this is the great strength of Fullmetal Alchemist Brotherhood is that it takes situations and it makes them gray. This is not black and white. Envy is a bad character. That is pretty black and white, right? Like there are aspects of Envy that we can empathize with and we'll see some of that here in a second. Uh, And we've seen some of that previously. Like the homunculi aren't inhuman monsters at all times, Uh, maybe with the exception of Sloth. But like uh, they're... They, they have human characteristics. They're characters that have traits that we can understand and relate to, even as we see them as mostly amoral, mostly monstrous villains. Um, that doesn't mean that killing them by inflicting as much pain as possible is something that the heroes are comfortable with. And that's what Mustang is doing. And Hawkeye is uncomfortable with it. And I think this flashback shows, one, that she's uncomfortable with it because this power is dangerous and destructive and causes harm in ways that she does not like. But I think it is interesting, too, that she asks him to burn it off of her. And he is reluctant, but we know that he does it. And this, I think, is also drawing a comparison to why Mustang is so pissed, because he will he will do the hard thing for his friends. And what he's trying to do right now is get vengeance on a friend that was murdered, but he's doing it in a way that essentially Hawkeye and what we're going to find is that Edward and a character that I somehow haven't talked about yet, Scar, who's a a guy whose people were killed in a civil war by the people of this country that Ed is part of. One of those people being Mustang because the civil war was a false flag operation used to create a blood seal for the philosopher's stone plan by the baddies. Uh, Scar has a big chip on his shoulder about all these characters. And even he's like, dude, I think you're going too far. (laughs) And they all sort of like show up not to stop Envy from being killed, but for to stop Mustang from doing it in the way he's doing it. And Mustang is like, fuck you. I want to kill him. And Envy does an interesting thing because he's kind of like stirring the pot, but he's not doing it to get Mustang to keep killing him. He's doing it because, yes, Scar has a chip on his shoulder. Ed works for the people that killed his people. Mustang was one of them. Uh, They like Scar has tried to kill both of them. They've they have beef with each other. And Envy starts trying to drag that beef out so that they will start fighting each other so that Envy can slink away. And it doesn't work. Yeah. Yeah. Instead, uh, he is going to side with Mustang and understand what's coming from this, but also understand that who Mustang is. Mustang is also, he is going to inflict so much damage on Envy that Envy is reduced back into his little slime lizard body form. And then a fantastic thing happens, and this show is just going to hit you in another way, which is that... Mustang is going to stand down and they're going to envy is just like so upset by all of this and watching growth 
that he is going to reveal that he is envious of the fact that they can grow and evolve and forget pain and forget things that mattered to them and come yeah, out the other side stronger than he thinks that they should be able to come out the other side stronger. Yeah, the resilience of humans baffles him because he is a supercharged Philosopher's Stone created being. And he's like, humans are weak. They're fucking cattle. They don't have reserves of strength. And now he's sitting there watching people move on from terrible things. This was genocide committed by one of these characters, totally under duress, but he still did it Yeah, to the people of one of the other one. And they're like, no, nah, we're going to work together. It's more important. And yeah. Envy can't, 404 understanding not found. He cannot process this. Envy is so upset by all of this that he has a full-on weeping fit to the point where he comes to the end and he's just like, I don't want to live in this world anymore. I don't understand it and I don't want it if I don't understand it. And he rips the Philosopher's Stone from his own throat and kills himself. And it's just like, it's a crazy moment. And it leaves you just going like, oh my God, like the kind of spin that this show can do on you just out of nowhere, you do not expect this to be the way that Envy goes. And you're just left with kind of your mouth agape, especially if you're seeing it for the first time. I can't imagine you seeing it like, and just being completely blown away by this. Yeah. I had no idea this was going to happen. And mm. it's so good. It, it's yeah. just, and, it, and, it, and it's another good example. We got the action. They did the fighting. But the point of this is that they're characters and they're, they're dealing with big things. And this show is equipped to handle them in a way that is mature and thoughtful and complex. And it does it. And it's so yeah. fascinating. And yeah. Envy represents the understanding of this counterpoint of, of how humanity works and how, how we're able to grow and be resilient and he just can't handle it. And it's, yep. it's just fascinating. And then we get a couple of moments of setup for what's going to happen next. We get Izumi, who is the person that taught Ed and Al when they were kids, who is a badass in her own right. She shows up with some soldiers from Briggs fortress, which is the, the hardcore crew that works underneath Olivier Armstrong. Uh, they have shown up to help overthrow the government and Izumi is there too. And that's cool. She also has a, a refrain that gets sort of twisted here. She usually calls herself uh, a housewife, even while she's being a total badass and throwing alchemy. But here she calls herself, I believe, an alchemist because she's taking on a new role in this conflict. And that's really fun. Uh, and then meanwhile, uh, the guy who is the big bad behind all the homunculi, a dude named Father, he is the sort of like exact copy of Ed and Al's actual dad, which is a guy named Hohenheim, who has also been turned immortal by a, uh, a betrayal in the past wrought by Father. And uh, Father is sitting down in his little lair and Hohenheim just walked up into it and now they're going to confront each other face to face. And those are two big setups for the next time we return to FMAB. Stick with us until the end of these credits, and we'll talk about what's coming on next week. Next week. Next week. Blake and Spencer Get Jumped is made by Forever Summer Productions and presented as part of the Geekly Grind Podcast Network. Sound editing is done by Rashad English. He's our level 15 sound wizard. Fireball! 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 Ad-free versions of our podcast are available on Patreon, along with extra Patreon-only goodies, like additional conversations and articles written by the hosts. Follow us on Twitter at B&SGetJumped. Like us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Blake and Spencer Get Jumped. Or talk to us on Reddit at Reddit.com slash R slash Get Jumped. We also have a Discord server, and you can find links to that on our social media platforms. If you like the show, please like, subscribe, and leave a review. Reviews help other listeners find our show. New episodes come out every week. Thanks for listening.
Hello, my name is Jeremy Snow, and I'm the founder and editor-in-chief of The Geekly Grind, a geek-centric website that covers all manners of topics from video games and anime to tabletop games, board games, comics, and more. If you're looking for a website to add to your daily rotation for some of the latest news, reviews, and overall takes on where geek culture is headed, make sure to bookmark thegeeklygrind.com and pay us a visit. I also wanted to thank you uh, for being a faithful listener to this podcast. Blake and Spencer Get Jumped is a vital member of our podcast family, which also includes Knights of the World Table, which is a D&D audio drama podcast, The Ink and Paint Club, an animation podcast, Comic Book Keepers, which is a comic book podcast, and Geek Exploration, the podcast which is on general geek culture. We also have the Geekly Grind podcast, which provides audio renditions of our published articles, special guests, and more. Make sure to seek those out and listen to them wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks again. Next time, we're watching Mob Psycho 102, episodes 8 through 9. Yeah, you gotta train to be the very best, like no one ever was. Because otherwise, your friends will tell you that you gotta just keep on running, and then you might think to yourself, there's no way that I'm gonna be able to finish this marathon and I'm just going to throw up at some point inside of this marathon. And they're just like, no, just keep on going. And then you've, at, by the end of it, you've thrown up on yourself and you've also peed yourself. You know, running's fun, you guys. <laughs>